Sagan, thank you very much for joining us. We know a lot about your performing uh, life and amazing music and crossover that you do. And of course, you're very active in the environment and passionate about why that's important to us. How do you see that as you wake up in the morning and develop what you want to do in your life? I think that's a great question. I started music and thanks to my parents, uh, make sure I had um, piano lessons first and that gave me a grounding in music and it's the joy, it's the passion from performing, whether it's in choirs, whether it's in ensembles, whether it's in bands, all the different types of areas in which you can um, perform music and have that collective joy that comes from it. So having the privilege of having a platform and having a stage, then it's thinking if you're a songwriter, what are you talking about? What subjects, what topics are you now bringing to the fore and in this contemporary world? And especially streaming changed everything. I started my music career before streaming was really dominating everything. Now with streaming, you can access music from any era, any time, any place. Therefore, as a musician or creative person, you've got to be saying something new. us now is the climate crisis now which is the biggest thing which is affecting people my generation and younger however to use the hope and enjoyment from music to try and bring some positivity to the message there that's the challenge as we're doing this you know the world is seeing the highest temperatures it's ever seen and you know this this is a real issue isn't it we're obviously talking today about Beethoven's Ninth Symphony and the Ode to Joy and that kind of political message that was you know right in this piece from day one and what does this piece mean to you in terms of its importance it's fascinating to see especially um, with Ode to Joy you see how important it is across Europe. Europe almost has it as a de facto anthem. And to think all those years ago, Beethoven writing this as the hope then is still the hope that we can have now. But it's really interesting how music has outlasted and can outlast other things which now we deem more important. Mm. It goes past even the power of politicians or politics as we can see with Ode to Joy how it had the positivity then and it's still serving that purpose now and binding us right now when we have different challenges if we can then bring some positivity and collective action in caring for the environment then that's how we interpret it but it has to start from music just in the same way whatever I'm doing it starts from the music Beethoven was, in a sense, making a protest, wasn't he, at the time, as you've pointed out. And this whole idea of creating a melody which becomes an earworm for the rest of the world for, you know, 200 years is a huge message. And Do you think that classical music can have this power to be able to change people in the way that it, it can respond to what's going on at the time? Absolutely. So I was really fortunate to be artist in residence of Philharmonia Orchestra and that was a fantastic experience. I got in to have these six-hour sessions with the players. That was the first time when it became a dialogue to then say, look, you are the expert in your instrument. 
So you might write something, but then it might not be the best way for it to sound from a practical point of view. But then for me, once I've written the music and then I hand it to different players, it's for them to interpret. They then bring it to life. So that's a collaboration. As part of the residency, there was uh, an insights day, so at Royal Festival Hall, where we're talking about protest music. One of the things which I, I touched upon there is everybody knows the power of music. We had the king's coronation and obviously the queen's funeral and music was front and centre in the abbey. Even when you have authoritarian regimes, they get the uniforms, they get the fashion, the tailoring, right? <laughs> and then they also have the, the bands and they have the big old parades. So if you think that even people with um, sort of nefarious intentions, they still know the power of music. <laughs> Performing is a statement. I'm gathering X number of people to come and sing together in a choir. And then we are making a statement because we're going to choose this particular venue. And then we're going to perform to this audience. We want to come and bring this to you. That's a statement in of itself. There's nothing more exciting than the communal power of the collective voice. It's something that people can relate to because everybody has a voice. The collectiveness, which is different from having soloists, mm. in, well, pop music where I started, it's all about that solo, that individual, that's the genius. However, it's pushing the collective spirit where the choir wouldn't exist or the orchestra wouldn't exist without all these players playing their own part in it. And I think that's what we need. You know, you're so right. And I'm just reminded of the people of Estonia. They took to the streets to get rid of their regime all those years ago and they just sang in their tens of thousands, which was deafening to those who they wanted removed. And they did it. It is really doing it in a way that gets under the skin of people in a proper way, isn't it? That music can do that. Yeah, and I think that's what we need to do to think in a clever way. And that's the challenge for whether it's orchestras, whether it's choirs with their programming, whether it's composers, whether it's songwriters now, to say how can we touch that nerve in a way where we can ruffle some favours but then also intrigue people to bring them with them in a creative way. So, Sega, just back to you and when you're thinking about a, a new song or what you want to create, uh, I mean, what do you think are the most important aspects to you? I mean, is it the words first or the melody first? or What really drives you and what do you think is the message that you want to put through all of that? So I always start with the music first because even when you write the music, when you hear it, it then has a different emotion and then that sets in mind the words what the topic might be. So is it going to be hopeful? Is it going to be contemplative? Or is it going to be angry? It's to think about what tools you have when you've got a piece of music. You've got the voice and you've got the words. 
and then you've got the melody. Mm-hmm. It's the sugar in the medicine. So you can make the melody and the music really sweet, and then you can make the lyrics quite hard hitting and quite direct. On top of that, as it circles around ourselves, happily chugging and leaving our children's lungs back. NO2 means something to me, but what does it mean to you, or do you not care? Because you think you're in an area that's for the well to do. That's the balance, and then you can play with that. So the listener, you can make them feel unsettled and unnerved. Thelonious Monk, the famous jazz musician says there's, mm-hmm. there's no such thing as a wrong note it's how you resolve it and then within the resolution is that where people find the hope i would say go back and listen to motown and especially what's going on marvin gay and the reason i say this Right now, music is separated. Here's classical, here's jazz, here's pop. Yep. But what made those Motown records really special is the Detroit Symphony players. They would run from Symphony Hall in Detroit. They'd be playing Beethoven, and then they'd do the midnight shift in Hitsville, and they would then play on these records to give it that really lush sound now because you've got real players. So that's the connection where musicians are musicians. We like all different styles. So if we can bring that back, because they did it before and we should do it again. Mm-hmm.